Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 9. And in chapter 8, what we covered was basically Daniel's prophecy. God gives Daniel these prophecies, these future visions of history for a particular purpose. Now in Daniel 8, the focus is really on the Grecian kingdom, right? And the Jews, you know, Daniel's time is roughly 6th century B.C., So the Jews are going to unfortunately deal with this, what we would call a type of the Antichrist, Antiochus Epiphanes. For those of you that know Jewish culture and history, uh, he was around 168 BC. He came out of the Grecian Empire and uh, he persecuted the Jews. And the Hanukkah story comes out of that. Very interesting. Um, And again, he was a type of a future, our future leader, who will also come be more deceptive, you know, we know him as the Antichrist or the in place of Christ or the false Messiah. This morning we're going to, and we're going to break this up into two sermons because there's a lot of information. Uh, So the first one you're going to see in Daniel chapter 9 is going to be a focus more on the Roman Empire. We're going to shift back to the Roman Empire and certainly we'll be looking at some of the things that uh, Titus the general did in the Roman Jewish wars of AD 66 through 70 how he actually went in to the temple and profaned it, went into the Holy of Holies, they destroyed the place, um, they, they, they defiled the place, uh, but this really came out of the Roman Empire or the revived Roman Empire. Now here's an amazing thing, Daniel was just one faithful saint, one faithful saint, think about that, one person. You might be sitting here this morning and thinking you're insignificant. You might be reading about the saints and about the apostles and you might think, well, who am I? Well, you know what? Maybe Daniel thought that too. But he was faithful. He prayed, he was faithful, and God used him as a result of that. Now, just as a kind of a a precursor, I'm just going to talk about, I'm going to be talking about a lot of different leaders. We've been talking them all the way through Daniel's prophecy, and there's a reason we talk about successive kings of the the Greco-Roman Empire, certainly the Medo-Persians and before as well. But just so you know, you might say, gee, I've heard that name before. Just don't get confused because there's Ahasuerus, and, or also known as Xerxes. There was more than one. There was also uh, Antiochus, more than one. Not to be outdone by Artaxerxes, more than one. Certainly Darius or Darius, more than one. And also Seleucus. So as we start to go through these characters, um, just because they have similar names, we have to actually go back into our history books and see which one that they're speaking about. I'll try to make light of it or elucidate it as I did last Sunday when we went through this. So, a lot of information, but heck, when we go for a promotion or we go for uh, a degree, we study, right? If we go for a a physical contest, we train. Some of us hurt our backs while we're doing that kind of stuff, but uh, basically, we put effort into it. And it's the same thing with God's Word. You know, don't look at it and go, gee, I don't know anything about this. You know, God wants us to apply ourselves. As a matter of fact, we should be applying ourselves more to the things of God than, that are eternal than the things of the world, which are ephemeral or short-lived. 
So let's jump in and check it out. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of years specified by the word of the Lord, given through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, Daniel is, what do we use? Right? I'll, I'll say to you, well, this happened in 539 B.C. Well, Cyrus's decree happened in 538 B.C. In Daniel's perspective, he's like, what's B.C.? He didn't know about even the sea yet. You know, he didn't know about the Christ yet, although the prophecies, he wrote them down. It was successive generations that said, oh, here, Jesus, here he comes. So we look at things in B.C. and A.D. Daniel looked in things by, if he's trying to make a, a chronicle of what's going on in his, in his lifetime, he'll say, okay, this king ruled of this, of this group of this time. So just a little bit of a different perspective. But basically, Jerusalem, Judah, was invaded by the Babylonians. A lot of people were taken captive, kidnapped, if you will, expatriated. Uh, in Babylon, successive kings, then the Medo-Persians came, conquered the Babylonians, found favor upon the Jews, and were able to send them back out of you know, God softening their heart. But the Jews, in Judah especially, were supposed to be removed for a certain period of time. And I'm going to read that in Chronicles. So if we could turn to 2 Chronicles 36, it gives us a little bit more information. It says, now this is speaking of, of God's people constantly being disobedient, being a bad witness to those that are around them, um, disobeying God, setting up idol worship. And then here come the Babylonians. And it says, then they burned the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar did this. R roughly 605 to 586 B.C. was the last throes of, of Judah. The temples destroyed, the, the gold and the silver is looted, right? Um, so ba basically broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdoms of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So the Jews are taken captive, and there's a reason for it in God's word. Um, can't say they weren't warned. They were warned numerous times. And honestly, when we do things wrong, if we're Christians, we know it's wrong. We read the word, we're convicted. The Holy Spirit lets us know it's wrong. Okay, God is, is a, a fair, fair God. We can never say God's not fair. But there was this practice by the, the farming community, and they would abuse the land. God said, you know, in the sixth year, you'll farm, and you'll have an incredible abundance, and I'll provide for you in the seventh year, but let the land lie fallow. And among other things, they didn't do that. They didn't give it its sabbatical rest. Now, it's kind of interesting how God's ways, we could say, well, that's the old covenant. But God's wisdom is amazing. It carries into today. How many times have you heard that the foods that we eat are depleted of vitamins and minerals, right? So they make supplements. Um, certain uh, fruits that if you just keep farming and farming and, and abusing the land, eventually the stuff is just removed from the soil and you're eating it, but it really has no nutritional value. So God's word is amazing because it's, you know, we find out things today that just prove what God said. You know, the Old Testament quarantine, you know, leprosy. Do 
you, you were supposed to put, if you had leprosy, you had to put a cloak over your face, and through that you would say unclean, so that the droplets in your, your breathing and stuff didn't affect other people and get them sick. So there was a quarantine, right? Microbiology is in, in the Old Testament. Cosmology is in, 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 you know, in, the, in the Old Testament. But here's the thing. God had a lot of faithful people that loved him, and then there were others that just wanted to use him. And, you know, we see that today in the world. You know, there's those that use God, that come to God, and they're so broken because of their situation, and they just want something from God. And, and people back here did the same thing. They used God instead of having a relationship with God. Uh, in a few Wednesdays from now, I'm going to be teaching in 1 Kings 15, and we read about Abijam and, and Asa. And they knew when to call on God, and they used God at times, but for the benefit of the people. But the Bible said that their hearts were really not for God. And that's a shame. God wants a relationship with us. He doesn't want our pittance. He doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't want to just solve our problem. He wants a relationship with us. It's all through the scripture. But Daniel knew. He knew. He, he calculated it, right? He knew that as a teenager, he was taken to Babylon, and 70 years were coming up, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to get into God's word, and I'm going to read it, because I know God promised that he would send us back. They longed for 900, 1,000 miles back to Jerusalem. They longed for their homeland, the Jews. And God answered their prayer. But you know what's amazing? Where did Daniel find the answer? In pop psychology? In humanistic studies? You know, in um, whatever, talk show hosts? No. Daniel knew where to find his, his edification. He knew where to find his answers, and it was in God's word. And today, it's, there's nothing different. Well, we have a lot more distractions with technology and TV and all kinds of stuff, and um, just stuff is loaded to entertain us. And then we come into the church sometimes, we want to be entertained too. But it's oftentimes a sobering reality when we read the word. But the answers are found in God's word, not in anything that man can provide. So you, you, we would see these cycles. As we go through the Old Testament, a lot of times there would be blessings, and then blessings sometimes would lead to prosperity. Prosperity uh, at many times led to debauchery. And what is debauchery? When we have so much, and we, and we don't need God anymore. That, that's really what it comes to. The mindset is, I got it from here, God. Thanks for the blessings. You know, I'll see you when my life is falling apart again. So you see these cycles. It would lead to judgment or punishment. And I submit to you, punishment, obedience are dirty words in American culture, but they're necessary. They're necessary to build our character. And then punishment would lead to, a lot of times, repentance. And then, of course, there would be forgiveness. Read Luke 17 about what Jesus says about forgiveness. He said repentance has to come first. Right? Very important. Now, today, some do follow this roller coaster pattern. And, and we, we don't have to. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't have to wait till things get so bad that we, we fall on our faces and then we cry out to God and then He forgives us and He lifts us up and then we just go through these patterns. We don't have to because we have the Holy Spirit. A lot of times the Holy Spirit helps head off the problem at the pass. Right? He lets us know, this isn't a good idea. It's that little voice, you're saved. Probably the Holy Spirit saying that. And if you can link it up with something in Scripture, then you know it's got to be the voice of God. Trying to prevent us from ruining our lives, really, in essence. So verse 3, let's look at his prayer. 
Let's look at the prayer of a, a godly man. Verse 3. Daniel says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we... heeded your servants the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes to our fathers and all the people of the land O lord righteousness belongs to you but to us shame of face as it is this day to the men of judah to the inhabitants of jerusalem and all israel those near and those far off in all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you O lord to us belongs shame of face to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness that we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and, and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges, and who judges us, by bringing upon us a great disaster, for under the whole heaven such never has been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God, that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. It's an amazing prayer. I'm going to look at a few aspects to it. The first one is, it's not a drive-through fast food prayer. That's the, the first thing is there was effort put into this to to seek God and to know his will. He spoke about fasting, sackcloth, ashes, setting his face towards God, prayer and supplication. This isn't what I would call a one-minute prayer flare. (sighs) How quickly does a flare go up and then come down? A minute? But this was not a prayer flare. This wasn't, oh God, we're in trouble, fix my problem so I can move on with my life. This was something that he put effort into. So that's the first part. Number two, In verse 2, he attests to the character of the one he's praying to. A simple acronym, um, you could say the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, and um, there's like these acronyms to help us remember things. But if we look at the acronym Acts, we can see that this is really the A in Acts, adoration. Right? He's expressing his opinion of God and, and the truth of who God is in his character. What about in Jesus when he taught the disciples how to, how to pray? You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name is to be hallowed. Right? God keeps his promises because he has a trustworthy character. Therefore, Daniel will put his faith in that God who keeps his promises because he trusts his character. We look at verse 5. He said, we have sinned. He didn't say, I'm good. I'm your prophet. They're bad. 
punish them. You know what I'm saying? He says we. He knows he's a sinner. You know, even back in the Old Testament. So the third thing we look at is personal responsibility. Man, that's a thing we don't see that much in our culture. I'm going to read an article on that. But Daniel doesn't blame God. And he doesn't blame his fellow Jews. He says we. How many people blame God for the calamities in their life? This is a world set on destruction because of sin. Because of sin that our ancestors caused, sin that we cause, sin that other people in relationships with us cause. But, you know, it's not to deflect it to someone else. I even, in Isaiah 6, one of my favorite passages, he says to God, him, you know, I'm a man of unclean lips. He talks about himself first. I'm a sinner. And I live in, a, in the midst of a people with unclean lips. All of us, we have sinned. It's personal responsibility. Now think about this. Think about this for a minute. Here's a guy as a teenager living in an awesome land, a land flowing with milk and honey. They have Solomon's temple. It's beautiful. It's grandiose. They say that the hammered gold was so thin on the roof that when the sun hit it, it was, it was glorious. It was scintillating. He lives in a place with culture and enrichment and God's word and the, and the priesthood. And here all of a sudden the Babylonians come, these awful heathens, godless people who knock down the walls of Jerusalem, who slay probably some of his relatives, who forcefully take him from his beloved land and take him to Babylon, a land of paganry and idolatry and then destroy God's temple. Now, think about this. In our culture, there'd be a lawsuit somewhere. You know, I, I heard one, I read about it, one, one person was suing God. You know, he'd be suing the Babylonians. He'd have a class action lawsuit. That's what we do in our culture. We just look for somebody to find fault with. And Daniel still has a heart for God. Listen, brothers and sisters, whatever you're going through this morning, Give it to the Lord. Trust Him. I just want to encourage you with that. Daniel wasn't a super saint. He, wasn't, he didn't have a genetic, better genetic pool than anybody here. He didn't have greater intelligence or greater godliness. He just was a person. And you can read that in, his, in what he says about himself. You know, I mean, this morning I'm preaching out of my affliction with my back right now. It's telling me, get off, get off your feet. It's sending me signals to my brain right now. But that's a good thing. And I look at it and say, okay, Lord, you got my attention. Maybe he needs to reel me back in a little bit. Don't think too far back. But <laughs> he needs to reel me in. And it's okay. First thing we should be thinking about is what's God trying to say to me? And is, are my ears open? Am I listening to him? Sadly, our society, again, is going away from personal responsibility. And some of this stuff is getting into the church. You know, I, I say this, that everybody's getting a makeover these days. Sin is, par sin is getting a makeover too. Did you know that? Yes, they're, they're glamming sin up and making it look better. And, you know, because sin really isn't sin anymore. I'm reading this article and it caught my attention. I like to read. I like to see what the secular community is saying. And sometimes they say things that are very similar to what the Bible teaches. They just don't know it. Um, it's written by John Stossel and the title is America, Home of the Free, Land of the Victim. Very controversial. Certainly ticked a lot of people off when he wrote it. But he says a few things. I won't read the whole thing. You know, Lindsay Lohan, when jailed for driving drunk and being, breaking parole, says she's a victim of cruel and unusual punishment. 
a Philadelphia, Philadelphia dentist caught, let's just say, doing inappropriate things to the women in his chair, said he's a victim of froderism. It's some disease. I can't help myself, you know. Well, they're going to take your license away and put, could put you in jail, but it's a way of not taking responsibility, making excuses, you know, um, blaming somebody else, not blaming ourselves, not taking responsibility, and it's just all over the place. So here's some interesting terms. The opposite of personal responsibility is this, justification, justifying our sin, blame shifting, it's not my fault, rationalizing it, making it sound better than, than sin. No, nobody wants to hear the word sin. It even sounds terrible. Deflection, deflected towards something or somebody else. Projection, uh, you know, things you don't like about yourself, you put onto somebody else. And this is what, our, our, our country's in trouble. I got news for you. Those guys every Sunday who are preaching everything's golden and, and listen, the false prophets did the same thing in Daniel's day. And the true prophets were punished for preaching the truth. Everything is not well in American society or even in the Western church. You know, blame God, blame my parents, blame the government, blame my own temptations, blame my teachers, the police, and two of my personal favorites for all the things wrong in my life, my church, and my pastor. You know what I'm saying? Everybody gets lumped into that, and it, it, just, it just goes in every direction. That's what mirrors are for. Maybe we should spend less time primping and look in a spiritual mirror and see what's wrong in my heart. I, I really, honestly, I pity those that I see and even try to deal with that don't take the personal responsibility. They don't look in the mirror because I know it's only going to get worse from here. Honestly, in the persecuted church, as much as ISIS is slaughtering Christians, some of those guys are quietly and secretly coming to Christ and leaving the group and asking for forgiveness from those that they've persecuted. This is amazing. I love talking to missionaries because it gets us out of the Western bubble. I talked to somebody who went to Eastern Europe, um, Yugoslavia or something. We had a long talk, and, and she said, he, she goes, the American media, media is brainwashing you. I said, no, I, I get it. A lot of people don't, but I get it. There's things going on overseas that we're just not aware of. People coming to Christ. But in the United States, I hate to say this, we're deceived. And we're deceived by the devil. He's, we're, we're, sometimes we become overeducated fools. We're so smart that we have no common sense as a culture. You know, Satan laughs as Americans every day perish and step into a Christless eternity because they're just so smart. Because this can't exist. Because of this and that and all these ridiculous reasons. It's, it's, I love my country. I love my people. And, and I'm, I'm sad to see what's happening. And this needs to come out of more pulpits. You know, the Germans got caught in, in their own intellectualism in the 20th century. Horrible things happened in Germany. And they, they had the best scientists in the world. Well, I think in the 21st century, I think it's happening to us. More stuff coming out about Planned Parenthood. It just gets worse. It just gets worse the more you, 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 it's almost we're incredulous when we see these things. Well, they can't be doing this. They are doing these things. First Corinthians one twenty two, the apostle Paul says, professing to be wise, they became fools. I got a four year degree from a good school. Did make me a better person. You know what made me a better person? Coming to Christ. Did more to, for me than education could ever do. I still have my books, and it's kind of funny. 
I love talking to the atheists when they want to throw science in my face. I take, okay, what is it, 25 years ago, almost 30 that I went to college, and I open the books, and I'm like, they will not use this anymore in biology, in, in astronomy. You know why? Because it's outdated. Because science changes based on us catching up with what the Bible says is true. Biology, 25 years ago, in my science books, they'd laugh at it. But 25 years ago, the ones who made fun of God, they adhered to it. I love keeping my textbooks. It was well worth the money as far as I'm concerned. Verse 6, he says, basically, God, not only did we not listen to you as a nation, but we didn't listen to your prophets either. Four, there's a deeper admission. Seriously, how many, I know for me, I mean, how many when we get busted want to confess more? Really, who wants to do that? It's almost like this thing, whatever the authority is saying to you and you're busted, you don't want to admit any more than you think that they know. Oh, good, they stopped there. You know what I'm saying? Come on, we've all been there. You know what I'm saying? There's a little bit of Jacob in all of us. Uh, but you can look at this as the C in Acts. C is confession. He's confessing on behalf of himself and on behalf of his people. Verses 7 and 8, he basically says, God, righteousness belongs to you, shame and unfaithfulness to us. The fifth point, an accurate assessment of the players. Who are they? God and us. Right? In American culture, who feels shame? You know, in the Bible, they would, whether it was tr literal or figurative, the Bible would speak in the prophetic words about your nakedness would be exposed. Okay? Uh, again, it could be physical if a nation came and attacked and did all these horrible things, or it could be a spiritual thing you know you're it's like the emperor's new clothes he, he doesn't realize he doesn't have anything on um so but today in american culture nakedness is a billion dollar industry who's ashamed anymore we export and import pornography it is huge business so it, it's amazing how the bible isaiah tells us that wrong would be right and right would be looked at as wrong and that's what we're seeing right in general, Daniel attests to God's righteous discipline while loving, warning, and forgiving. And even forgiving when it's not necessarily deserved. Christ died on the cross. We, we, we were born physically. We didn't deserve the Son of God taking all of our sins, that penalty. And then, continuing to, who died for our sins even as Christians when we sin. He doesn't deserve that. And we don't deserve that in a good way. But this is our God. The sixth point, an attitude of thankfulness, the T in Acts. Thankful attitude that Daniel had. You know, Bible scholars are, are divided, but it does appear that a lot went, tens of thousands, the number was around 50,000 of the Jews when Cyrus gave the decree, all right, you can leave here, go back to your homeland. And many stayed. They just liked the creature comforts in, in that area, in that in that place but many tens of thousands of them went back to jerusalem and they found their homeland in ruins destroyed burned but they went back but you know what they were thankful they were thankful for what god had given them verse 16 O lord according to all your righteousness i pray let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city jerusalem your holy mountain because of our sins 
and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all who are around us. Here, Daniel, on behalf of the nation, many people might not have been praying at all. They might have assimilated into Babylonian culture. They might have given up Yahweh, the God that we know, for the Babylonian gods and the Persian gods. But Daniel was faithful. And he's asking on behalf of his people to grant a pardon. And the ultimate pardon was Jesus on the cross, which he will prophesy about and has in many points in his prophecies. Jesus on the cross is a pardon for our sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him, anyone in this room, would not perish, but have eternal life. He said, we become a reproach to all around us. See, Daniel was concerned about how God's people looked to the pagan world. There's a, a tremendous parallel today. 1 Timothy 3.7, when it talks about the qualifications of church leaders, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Some Christians don't care. They just do what they want, and they don't care how they look to the outside world. But we're supposed to be, as the Jews in the Old Testament were supposed to be a light to the pagan world, we knowing Jesus Christ, are supposed to be a light unto the world, a city set on a hill. You know what I'm saying? A lamp put out in the middle of the house where it gives light for everyone to see. Daniel was concerned about their testimony to the unbelievers. Verse 17. Now therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, Cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. Oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. And the city, which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. You owe us. Now he didn't say that. He's saying the opposite. But this is what we hear today. We're owed something. Even as Americans, the Constitution, we're owed something. We're owed the American dream. We're not owed anything. And God's kingdom will last far longer than the... You know, we're not even that old as a, as a nation. You know, we've got to put stuff into perspective. Oh, hear, Lord. Oh, Lord, forgive. Oh, Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. This is true intercessory prayer. Some people ask me, Pastor Joe, what's intercessory prayer? It comes from the word to intercede. Daniel is, is praying on behalf of the nation. When you read Nehemiah, okay, we already talked about Isaiah. I, I have unclean lips. My, these people have unclean lips. All of us, we. Daniel, you read Nehemiah, he says the same thing. We. That's, that's somebody who's not deluded by their own narcissism. That's somebody who's who's objective about the situation. You know, trust me, I'm not going to be up here and tell you I'm, I'm a great anything. You know, if God could use a donkey, he could use me. For some reason, he chose me for such a time as this. But, you know, I wouldn't put myself any better than anybody else. I'm a sinner that needs Jesus just like the next person. You know, we, this is what we could look at as the S in Acts, supplication. And we have to think about this. When we pray, is it always about ourselves? I this, I that, I need, I want. It's not bad to do that. But are other people involved in that? 
of brothers and sisters in Syria and Iraq who are being persecuted, Africa, Asia, you know, um, Central America in some places? Or is it just what I need and what I want? I think that's dangerous, and it's, it's, it'll only hurt ourselves. Verse 20, Now while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, remember, this is Daniel's impression. He sees this figure, whom I had seen in my vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. I'm going to touch on that at the end. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So Gabriel, an angel, from Daniel's perspective, he looks like a man, but he flies. <laughs> he's, he knows he's a heavenly creature. He knows it's, you know, um, you can see in a lot of these exchanges, Daniel's completely humbled by this. He's frightened in some sense. Angels, especially, you know, we have this weird idea in the New Testament or in our dispensation that they're cuddly creatures, but Daniel knew what the Bible said about angels. They were mighty beings that did God's bidding. In Isaiah 6, I just love the picture. You know, God is awesome, and he overshadows the angels, but just to get a picture, the seraphim were these order of angels that had six wings. Two wings were kind of keeping them up flying, and with the four wings, they did different things. Imagine, that, imagine seeing that. Wow. You never, something you never forget. But he comes to Daniel with a response from God, answered prayer. And today... Even better, we don't have to wait for Gabriel to fly to us because we're sealed with God's Holy Spirit. And he's with us, he's in us, he's upon us. And he's always there if we're not grieving him and saying, no, 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 I, I got this. I, sh- just don't, don't convict me here. I want to I do this sin. You know what I'm saying? We, grieving and quenching the Spirit. But the Spirit is there to guide us, to convict us, to help us, to encourage us, to lift us up. Part of God resides in us when we're saved. It's an amazing thing. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins. Wow, pretty powerful stuff. To make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until Messiah the Prince, so there's a prophecy of the Messiah to come in the Old Testament, there shall, there's many of them, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, the street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. And after <clears throat> the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the Prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood until the end of the war desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant or an agreement with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even till the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. This is why, as a church, we believe in using the scripture on Sunday. Again, not what the world is going with, not reflective of the secular world. This is where the answers are. And even if you're a naysayer about Jesus as the Messiah, I challenge you, 
to look up Daniel, see where Daniel came from, see when it was written. Daniel's found in the Dead Sea Scrolls. That brings us back circa the first century and before. Go back to the Septuagint, which is written circa third century BC. These are anyone who knows anything about archaeology knows what the Septuagint is. You can't deny that the Septuagint existed. So how let's let's just give the the atheists or the naysayers the benefit of the doubt. This book was written. This is a sixth century, early sixth century BC book. The Septuagint. Let's just give because every the world knows this is Septuagint, the Dead Sea Scrolls. We know that exists. So give the naysayers the benefit of the doubt. This goes back to 3rd century B.C. How in God's name could Daniel know all of this stuff? And when I, when I talk to you about what these words mean in the Hebrew, the details of the Messiah even being killed and ending his ministry, and the day that he was to arrive, the hair should stand up on the back of your neck. You might say to me, Pastor Joe, I've never heard this before. Honestly, you don't have to go to our church, but you've got to find a church that teaches the Scripture. Because, because our culture is sanitizing God. They're putting plaster over ingrained marbles in courtrooms by some kooky judge's order. So nobody can read, do not kill, do not steal, you know, believe in God. This is what, what's going on in our country. I talk to people in the military. They're doing things that are underhanded to try to sanitize Christianity from the military, although they'll allow other religions. This is what our country is doing. You know, King Josiah, he lived in a time, that's why I named my son that name, where it, the same thing was going on. God's people were so sanitized by the word of God. When Josiah looked at the temple and said, that's God's house, it's, it's not in good shape. He sent the work crew over there. They found the old scrolls. They, they brought it to the king. Look at this king. And the king's reading God's word. He tears his garment. He fasts. He makes the nation fast because God's word was found again. He re-inspired the nation. This guy was a mover and a shaker. We can't be like sheep and keep going off the cliff of what the world tells us to believe and what not to believe. Because there's a lot of people in the church today that don't believe anything. I, I won't say, but I, I passed the church and it said, we're open to any all beliefs, yours. So you can come in there believing what you want. Nobody argues for truth in that church. And it's a denomination. It's weird. How does everybody believe something else if you have any passion and not have a conflict? This is what we need to put our trust in, which is God's word. Amen? Amen. There's been bad Jewish kings. There's been bad um, popes. There's been bad uh, uh, monarchs in Europe that try to destroy the Bible, and it's still here. People who have set out to destroy Christianity and it's, it's been lasting for thousands of years because God will make sure that his word lasts. He'll make sure somebody finds the last copy if need be, as in the case of King Josiah. We have to believe in something. We have to be passionate, but we need to be passionate for what's true, not what we're spoon-fed. Verse 24, we need to be a, a nation of thinkers. The next time we come back, I'm going to go into Daniel's 70 weeks. It's, it's very heavy. <laughs> um, if I keep you here for 45 minutes and give you the heaviest stuff at the end, it's, you know. So I, wanna, I want it to pop. So I read the whole chapter, and I've done this before, when there's some really meaty portion of it, then I go back to the few verses, which will be 24 through 27, and we're going to see that this will take up a good 30, 35 minutes of God's prophecy coming to life. You want to help the person that you know that's struggling with suicide or depression or something,
and they've tried everything and they've tried all these doctors, you know what? This will arm you with the hope that you need, like the Bible says, to give to somebody so that they can have hope. And hope that's a proven hope. Now listen, faith is faith. But there's also arguable proofs that God has given us in his word that will strengthen us, called apologetics, to help to deliver it to somebody and to, when they're really looking for the truth, you say, no, this is the truth. Research this. It's been researched so many times. So we're going to go into the 70 weeks of Daniel the next time we come together. Also talk about what's commonly known for those of you, uh, the rapture or the harpazo, whether you're, you're talking about a Latin or a Greek derivative. Uh, God coming for his people before the real dark times in Revelation. So don't miss it. I want to end with this. In verse 23, go back to this. Gabriel tells Daniel, for you are greatly beloved. For you are greatly beloved. You are greatly beloved. You, here in this church this morning, because Christ died for your sins. He knew some 2,000 years after his death that you would be born, and he died for your sins. That's unfathomable. unfathomable. It's hard to wrap your brain around it because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for you and everyone else on the planet. In Daniel's day, he believed in God as Abraham did, and that righteousness was imputed to him. He trusted in a future Savior that God spoke of. Today, we have a relationship with Jesus because from our perspective, he's come into the world. From Daniel's perspective, it was going to take another 500 years for it to happen. In addition, Daniel was one man that stood up, raised his hand, and trusted God and desired to be used by God. One man, one person that made so much of a difference. And I submit to you, there is that one man or one woman in this church, and there might be a collection of you that can go far further than maybe anyone else's, and that'll be your ministry. That'll be your mission. I just want to encourage you with that. Jeremiah did it. Isaiah did it. Esther did it. Ruth did it. Are you willing to do it? Are you willing to raise your hand and be used by God? And don't tell me about all your flaws, because every person in this book has had flaws, some of them pretty bad ones. Okay, and God still used them. When I think about Esther, who also served in the, under the Persian kingdom some years later than Daniel, okay, in history. She spared the Jewish people of a, of a trick that was perpetrated on the monarchy to destroy the Jews, a holocaust, if you will. <coughs> Esther was told in chapter 4, if you remain silent at this time, she had to put her... her her neck on the line. She had to put her reputation on the line. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And we often quote that in the church. For such a time as this. Maybe God has empowered you for this thing. For this, maybe this is what's going to give you that oomph when you leave here. That God is using you for such a time as this in your workplace, in your family, in your community. It all starts with one person going before the Lord, maybe all alone, while your friends and your associates are all going in a different direction. This is a story about one man who was faithful to God his whole life and spared the lives of so many through three successive world dynasties. So now, instead of watching the movie, you've become part of the movie. Because I'm speaking to you. We spoke about Daniel, now I'm speaking to you. 
God wants to use you. He has a script already planned out for you, but you have to be willing to do it. Will you be one of those faithful few that God is looking to stand up and be used by Him? Will that be you? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.